Welcome to Business Ninjas, brought to you by Write For Me, where you'll hear from business leaders who are out there growing their business and slaying it every day. Learn from the masters. Let's get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome back for another episode of Business Ninjas. I'm here today with Josh Inson. He's the Managing Director for the Life Sciences Practice at Point B. Josh, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, I don't often get a chance to talk to actual ninjas, so I'm excited to be here. <laughs> excited to have you. So, Josh, why don't you start and tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so my name is Josh Ensign. I live here in Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, I work for a consulting firm called Point B. Uh, it's headquartered in Seattle, and I run our life sciences practice for the firm. Interesting. Why don't you tell me a little bit more about Point B and kind of what you do? Yeah, so um, in general, Point B is a mid-sized consulting firm that that does a lot of the standard things consulting firms do. So it's, it services um, different industries and then brings different capabilities to help those industries uh, figure out what they should be doing and do their best to do it. Um, so we have kind of this, this standard matrix organization where you have the industry verticals and then the capabilities you would expect to get from a consulting firm. So like IT advisory, M&A, strategy, human capital, people practice, and so on. So uh, within the life sciences practice, though, it's a little bit different. So we're one of the newer practices and one of the newer newer industries. So even though Point B has had life sciences clients for 20 years or more, the work we did historically was kind of the things consultants would do for any industry. So over the last three years, we've really started to change and adapt what it is that we do uh, to make it much more life sciences specific. So whereas before, you know, we, we would come in and do um, a supply chain project the same way we might do for another industry, we're bringing a lot more specific capability for life sciences itself because it is a very different industry. It's highly regulated. You have this constant sort of need to develop new therapies and new products over time because the you know, you lose the patent at the end of it. And then with that loss of exclusivity, yet the generics are able to come in and basically use your product again. So you have to keep that pipeline going as well as the need to like innovate with medicines to do a better job of addressing sort of human health and disease. Mm -hmm. And, you know, kind of taking a, taking a step back before we dive more into the health and sciences portion, you mentioned, you know, there being several industries that Point B works with. Before we yeah. dive in kind of as a large overview, what are some of the other industries? Yeah, so we, I mean, we have a financial services uh, to include insurance practice. We do consumer and retail. We do media and tech, and we have a manufacturing practice, and then we also have an energy and utilities practice as well. Uh, and then we have the the other the other category that we call emerging industries, which is you know as new things sort of come up, how do we how do we handle those? You know, obviously, uh, consultants want to be good partners, good partners with uh, with their clients, so. You know, if we get someone that doesn't neatly fit into one of those categories, we still still do our best to accommodate that, um, even if we don't necessarily have like a big formal framework for that yet. Makes sense. Makes sense. And you mentioned something when we were talking, you know, about the life sciences portion and practice about regulatory kind of concerns and, and working through that, you know, because the healthcare industry is so regulated and complex, how does point B assist their clients with compliance and, you know, regulatory challenges? Yeah. I mean, there, there's a lot of, a lot of different ways with, that that can come into effect. And so, you know, especially if you take a look at some of these like big pharma clients, so like you take a, a, a standard big pharma and it might be a hundred years old, 
And it's not just the company that started a hundred years ago that's sort of grown organically. It's also like a, a hundred acquisitions along the way where they buy smaller companies, you know, and sometimes these are just like startups. So like really what you're buying is sort of the, the therapy that's in development as you go. So there's, it's this giant sort of mashup of all these different organizations. And so sometimes you can walk into to a, a situation where you have like three of everything, you know, so you have uh, your global regulatory function group is really three different that have been sort of put together over the course of the years. And they do things in different ways. Sometimes depending, they have different systems that they use, depending on how recent the acquisition was. And so you get the new regulations coming in, the implications of the, those regulations and how do you interpret what that means to a very complicated organization? How do you get the word out to everybody on the street, how they do it? That is a fundamental problem of this, this industry. So um, there are lots of thoughts on how that will happen in the future. So um, probably the, the standard way that it's handled right now is you have someone effectively like a team that, that is uh, sort of taking in these new regulations, changes in regulations, thinking through sort of future laws coming in, and they think through what the implication is, and then they tell everybody. They tell everybody in a series of meetings, or they tell everybody in a series of emails and so on, and then you're like, cross your fingers and hope that the word gets out to everybody. It's not quite that bad, but like, it's kind of, it's kind of that bad in some places, right? And so the thought is that there are ways to take some of the new emerging technologies, particularly like AI. So AI is the, the hot topic of the moment everywhere, everywhere. But like, what does that mean? So if you have the ability to go in and sort of have something that can flag, hey, here's the new re regulation. Here's the new um, sort of series of implications. Here's what you can do about it. How do you bridge that gap with technology? But you always have to have that human expertise plugged in. Otherwise, it doesn't work, right? So the, the the common fear is like the bots are going to take over the world, like Skynet from the Terminator. They're going to kill us all, right? take all our jobs and then kill us. It's probably not going to happen that way, right? It's, it's much more going to be the the sort of Star Wars, like Luke Skywalker, R2-D2 model where they work together to do the thing. That's probably a much more, much more true, at least short-term future. Like, I don't know if Skynet's going to come alive and kill us one day, but not today, probably not tomorrow, probably not next year. So it'll be that partnership because if you realistically take a look historically at like jobs that have actually been completely eliminated by technology, it's really hard to come up with many of them. Like telephone operator, remember the old school movies where they're like plugging in, plugging in the things and then writing down the connections and that was the technology. Switchboard operator does not exist mm -hmm. as a job now because of technology. But I would challenge people to come up with many more than those. Because even if you take take the automobile, right? There are still jockeys, there are still grooms that take care of horses. It's just we don't use horses for standard transportation. We use it for leisure. Those jobs still exist. So the, the whole concept of of like whole jobs completely being eliminated is probably just this much overblown. Hmm. I really like that that analogy and also that challenge to our listeners to say like try, try to identify, you know, another job, because that is, you know, like you said, AI is, is the hot topic. And, you know, it, we've seen that if you're not leveraging AI, you know, it, to, to improve your, you know, to improve the, 
the workforce to improve, you know, just the time that it takes, you're going to be left behind, right? Um, but kind of pivoting a little bit, what I heard from that was talking about how agile point B and specifically the life sciences practice can be in, you know, adapting to new changes and, and working with its clients. So it sounds like that may be, you know, one way that you're able to differentiate yourself, really staying agile. What are some of the other ways that point B is really able to differentiate itself from its competition? Yeah, I mean, there are, there are two different ways that we think about that. And, and there is a little bit of overlap between these two different ways. But I mean, we could nerd out on this for a while. But the first the first sort of major category is what are we offering to our clients? Like what value are we bringing to it? Because we're seeing an evolution even of how consulting is done. Um, and so it's being able to bring the right capabilities for a client to help them solve the problem of the moment, the problems that are sort of looming in the near future, and do it in a way that doesn't cause bigger ripple effects right, right down the road. So I don't know, I don't know if there is like a historian of the management consulting industry, but there's probably like we're in wave two of consulting when you think about the evolution. So wave one, the reason it's called management consulting is sort of early 1900s, maybe slightly before that, but into the 1920s, like you had all these organizations that existed that weren't run particularly professionally. At the same time, you get the rise of the corporate structure. And then you start to get sort of these both vertical and horizontal sort of mergers and integrations. You get these big conglomerates that are basically being run like their mom and pop shops. And so you get all these professionals, mostly Ivy Leaguers coming in who are like, I am I am an actual manager and I can teach you how to manage these things. That's why it's called management consulting. And so that's kind of the first wave, which is really around professionalizing these organizations. And then wave two probably starts, I don't know, call it, call it in the 60s, 60s-ish, which is like now we're going to bring more capability. So it's not just the structure and having the formal management, but it's like your triad of people process technology. Are you... You know, think about like the lean, the Six Sigma, the Toyota way. Are we thinking about our process in the right way? How are we managing managing our people? So you get sort of change management, human capital, having the right organization, and then technology, which is probably the biggest value that's come out of the second wave, particularly lately. So you get, you know, sort of the rise of these big sort of enterprise-wide systems, ERPs and manufacturing systems and getting the value out of those. And then we talked already about AI, which some people would say is the new wave, I would argue is still wave two. So the question is, what is wave three? We've always had this assumption that like in consulting, the way you justify these fees that you pay to your consultants is there is value in bringing in outside perspective, outside capability, getting sort of that, that objective view. But it needs to be able to translate into like, there's a reason we did that. So if we spent a dollar on this, like we need to get more than a dollar of value out. And so I think that's where this third wave is coming in. I'm not saying that we've solved it, but we think about it. We think about it. So it's like, what is that next evolution? And this sort of comes back in the to the end of the circle again. I think there's an opportunity for AI if we think about that sort of co-pilot model think about using new tools and new capabilities, I think there's a way to fundamentally transform how consultants do their fundamental job and then how that interaction with the clients and how the problem solving process works and how it plays out. I think that's probably wave three and I think we're close. I don't think we're quite there yet. Hmm. And that's only the first category because that's how we think about interacting with our clients. There's also how we think about sort of ourselves. 
So you talked about sort of the agile approach, the agile strategy, which is a, a, a completely separate piece. There is definitely, when we think about sales, right? Like we can't do work if we don't sell the work. So an innovative sort of philosophy and approach on sales is another kind of key critical part. And that's not a thing that you just sort of solve. That's like an ongoing ongoing process to constantly improve, like have a, a better a better sort of philosophy and process there. And then the third part is how we manage ourselves, manage our people, manage their growth, manage what they become, um, and then how we employ that um, internally with our clients and so on. So that's kind of a long-winded answer, but I think I've probably covered no most of the points. Yeah, no, 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 and, and covered a few questions that I had, you know, follow-up questions as well. So no, I appreciate I appreciate that in-depth answer. And, you know, kind of stemming off of that, thinking about your clients and, you know, how you're able to leverage kind of the consulting that you that is done. Are there trends or themes that you see arising often in kind of what you're working on with your clients? Well, in a way, in a way, I have a benefit, right? Because consulting is actually my second career. I guess I could have said that at the beginning when I introduced myself. But like, I, you know, I have kind of the the typical consulting path back to a point, right? You know, Booz Allen, KPMG, I worked at a boutique, seen seen different sort of angles and snapshots and different points of view through, through the consulting industry. But I used to be in the military. I flew jets for the Navy, so I was the backseater, uh, weapon systems officer, and F eighteen. So I perpetually have this like stranger in a strange land lens, which is like, why is it that way? Like, why? Because I didn't, I didn't come up like I didn't get consulting in with my mother's milk in the first part of my career. It's my second career, so it's constantly like, wait, what? Right? Like that, that constant questioning: why we do things in particular ways? What's the value? Because it really is like it's not native. It's not sort of natural. It's not the way. Like. For me, natural is like shooting off the front of an aircraft carrier and then doing <laughs> coming back. That's much more natural, even though I haven't done it in a long time. A long time. That's probably closer to my my 1.0, like if left alone, probably what I would do anyways. So yeah, I mean, to your point, it's an infinite number of things because like organizations that are thinking about employing consultants or are thinking about changing things up, even small organizations, like the problems that they're facing can be really complex because it's not just what's the problem we're trying to solve, right? There are second order effects, third order effects, but yet the paradox is at the same time, what you can do about it is often much simpler than what you think, mm-hmm. right? So like a perpetual problem is like, we don't have enough time. We don't have enough capacity. We don't have anything else. And the easiest thing to do is like, we'll stop doing something. Just st- stop. I yeah. promise you're doing things that you would rather not be doing. So just don't do that, right? And then figure out what you're going to do with those hours that's actually more productive. So that's that's a good first step. Good good first step. Or the, the other one, the other one, like I'm not an executive coach. I probably should never be an executive coach, but I could I could be an executive coach. You have a million things. You're juggling a million things. You're gonna always be juggling a million things because the way you're doing it is like. You're trying to solve a bunch of them all at once. And then every time you finish one, you get just as many, if not more, coming in. Sometimes it makes sense to like freeze all the things you're juggling and focus on one and fix that and then put it down. And then fix another one and then put it down. And then you're juggling fewer things. So 
I don't think that actually answers your question, but it's good good life advice, not just for people who are consultants or are working with consultants. No, you definitely you definitely did answer it. And you know, my two of my brothers are Marines, so I appreciate appreciate your service uh, and Thanks. dedication. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, you know, Josh, I think this has been a terrific conversation. As we start to wrap up, is there anything that you want to leave our listeners with, whether it be you know about Point B specifically, the life sciences practice, um, the industry in general? Anything you want to leave our listeners with advice? There's a lot there, and so I, a lo- I mean, I could rattle off a bunch of things that are not relevant to a whole lot of people that might be listening. So in general, what I try and do is have conversations that are relevant to the actual people there. So I think that that's probably too general for me to answer. Um, yeah, no, just do, do, do your best and making sure that when you're thinking about engaging consultants, that you have a good notion of, of what that value value is that's going to be more out of the, the sort of the dollar you spend. You better get at least a dollar and a cent out of it. Uh, and then conversely, Sometimes, even though it seems expensive up front, you actually end up spending less when you do bring in that outside expertise. You do help resolve a problem, put things on a better path or make make a change happen rather than sort of suffering, making your entire organization suffer for sometimes years without addressing it. A lot of times that's actually much more expensive. So sometimes you get a little sticker shock when 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 you get the proposal, um, sometimes that sticker shock is warranted, but not always. So. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, Josh, this has been a terrific conversation. I appreciate all of your insights, all of your guidance, kind of the experience that you bring, you know, while you said it's not necessarily the traditional trajectory, I think that is, you know, what, what makes you great at your job. And I appreciate you being on Business Ninjas today. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Great to have you. Hey, are you a business ninja? Want to be interviewed like this? Give us a shout. Go to www.writeforme.io, W-R-I-T-E-F-O-R-M-E dot I-O, and schedule a time to meet with us, and we'll make it happen. Keep slaying it, y'all.